Good evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult. I am your host, Adam Bolger, and tonight we're gathered here together to discuss the filmography of ZZ Top. Years before Marvel Studios, ZZ Top created a shared cinematic universe with friendly bearded ghosts, sassy 80s ladies, and cherry red hot rods. More recently, the 2019 documentary, The Little Old Band from Texas, explores the band's roots and showcases the natural storytelling abilities of Dusty Hill, Frank Beard, and Billy Gibbons. I must pause here to say RIP to the great bass player and singer, Dusty Hill, who we sadly lost in 2021. And boy, do I have an overqualified guest to help me unwrap the whiskery enigma of ZZ Top. Mark Stone joins me today. Mark is a terrific guitar player and a roots music historian who has been a standout presence in New Orleans since the 1990s, playing alongside legends of funk, zydeco, R&B, and blues on stages across the globe while hosting his weekly radio show Soul Serenade on Louisiana's WWOZ. That's 90.7 on your Crescent City radio dial. Right now, Mark is touring with funk guitar icon Leo Nocentelli of The Meters. Behind Leo's historic, rediscovered 1971 acoustic masterpiece, Another Side, as we mentioned in the interview, Leo and Mark are playing in my former hometown of Hartford, Connecticut, at Infinity Hall tonight, September 22nd. Leo and Mark play also at New York's Sony Hall on September 24th at Fillmore at, <laughs> at Philly's Ardmore Concert Hall. Uh, there's no more Fillmore. Sorry about that, fellas. But they're playing at Philly's Ardmore Concert Hall on September 25th and at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C. on the 27th. A funky good time is all but guaranteed. But that's enough for me for now. Let's hear from me and Mark as we talk ZZ Top. And now I'm happy to be joined by Mark Stone, a New Orleans musician and roots music historian, uh, who is currently on tour with the great uh, Leo Nocentelli. And I know that I have a couple people in Connecticut listening, so maybe you want to tell me where you'll be this week, Mark. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, Leo asked me to uh, join him for this really cool project. There was a, an acoustic album or an acoustic project a series of songs that he started recording in 1971 when the meters were on a brief hiatus because their label had gone out of business and uh, so leo was getting really into james taylor he got an acoustic guitar and started writing all these you know kind of acoustic folky somewhat funky songs and uh and then the meters got signed to warner brothers and he forgot all about it and yeah uh, the tapes were discovered a couple of years ago in 2018 at a swap meet in Los Angeles and, wow. and released last year. So, yeah, we're going to be touring behind uh, that project, which is called Another Side. Uh, and we'll be at Infinity Hall in Hartford on Thursday, the 22nd to kick off the tour. 
Oh man, that's terrific. And my mind is just spinning with questions about the meters, but we are not talking about the meters today. We are no. talking and I'm about not working with the meters. I'm working with one of the meters. I know, I know, but yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, like for, for my, <laughs> I understand. Hey man. Yeah. Hey, We're let me meters fans. I mean, come sure. On. Yeah. L- let me segue though. Let me, this, I have a segue. This is why I'm saying it. You'll I'm, understand. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, yeah, sure. We're not talking about the meters. Today. We're talking about another equally iconic musical act that's equally rooted to a place. But whereas uh, Leo and the meters are, you know, so uh, vibrantly connected to New Orleans and Louisiana, we're talking about the Texas trio ZZ Top. And I, I say way just uh, just uh, at the beginning here, uh, we're, we'll be talking about the recent documentary about ZZ Top. It's available on Netflix called The Little Band from Texas That Could. And I just want to admit um, some bias going into this that I, I love ZZ Top. Uh, they're one of my favorite musical acts of all time. And uh, Mark, I my first question for you is pretty broad, but uh, so where... Uh, you are, you know, the blues inside and out. You are steeped in the blues, right? Uh, it's what I've been doing all my life. Yeah. 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 So where do you see ZZ Top in the, in the continuity of blues music and the blues tradition? Well, I think one of the great failings of the documentary, other than mentioning the Memphis Blues Festival appearance was they really didn't touch on what a strong influence Freddie King. Yes. Uh, was and I've worked extensively over the years with Freddie's younger half brother and band leader Benny Turner, who you yeah. can see most of those great videos from the seventies with Freddie and you know the nudie suits and you know mm, yeah. and even if you know if you notice in the in the ZZ Top documentary when they have the footage from the nineteen seventy seven Worldwide Texas tour, which is a big breakout for them, uh, you know Billy and Dusty are in those awesome looking nudie suits. Yeah, and yeah, Billy's in the red one, and he comes out, and there's just something about you know the little dance he does and some of his expressions that remind me so much of Benny Turner. It's really cool. So I mean, you know, there's a, there's a good line I believe I forget if it's Dusty Hill or, or Billy Gibbons who says. We're not a blues band. We are interpreters of the blues. And I mean, you know, that's true. They were a rock band that was very deeply steeped in blues. And I mean, Gibbons voice is one of the bluesiest things you'll ever hear. And, you know, the influence of that music is is so there and so present. Um, And the influence of everything about Texas blues in terms of style and presentation and a sense of fun. I mean, yeah, if you've ever watched any videos of, of freddie king from back in the day uh or if you've ever if you know you were old enough to be lucky to see him which uh i'm, I'm you know i'm not i was you know i was a little kid when he died but yeah. you know working with his brother benny uh and you know if you've seen those kind of great uh texas performers and you know that come out of the roadhouse tradition they're fun yeah you know, really no matter how deep the music gets or how dark the subject matter can get there's a beautiful sense of fun to the whole performance combined with, you know, the, the virtuosity and the, and the emotional and musical depth of it. So, I mean, ZZ top is straight out of that. And I mean, you know, they've, they've always, you know, been clear about that. And if you listen to their music, you know, and as a little kid, even before I really fully understood 
how attracted I was to all things blues. You know, I mean, I used to, my grandfather and, and grandmother saw all the great swing era acts at places like the Apollo and, and, yeah. and in New York City. And my grandpa used to play these old uh, jazz records for me and mock the trumpet parts and stuff and say, listen, mm. play the blues. And, um, yeah. and I didn't realize until I started to get to the age, to, you know, my preteen years when I started to get a deeper sense of the history. Um, but I was always deeply attracted, you know, listening to what's now called classic rock, but which was the radio rock of the era to that yeah. really bluesy stuff. And there was something particularly about ZZ Top, who in the pre-eliminator era, when I was, you know, I was yeah. born in the 70s. So that that period of, of mid 70s when they had stuff like cheap sunglasses and Ooh, yeah. things like that, that you would tend to hear late night on the FM stations. They weren't, yeah. I was staying up past my bedtime from a pretty early <laughs> um, as soon as I got a boom box taping stuff and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, those easy top tunes, I mean, you know, something as raw and nasty as Tush, those tunes were just incredible. And that really, beautifully raw but well-controlled slide guitar sound i, mean, I just uh, i loved it all and yeah. it all you know we i mean if you if you know page one about american music you can the drawing the line from zz top back to the blues i mean it's like drawing a line from the allman brothers back to the blues or, or any of those great rock bands that you know truly started really drawing you know their wellspring was blues and then they went from there yeah yeah for sure and uh well there's a lot of there's a lot of things i want to kind of uh get back to from what you just said but um there's a comment i think it's steve miller in the documentary saying like okay around like when dc top came out in the first in the early 1970s so like there were led zeppelin i loved having steve miller and dan Auerbach relatively close in scenes uh, especially <laughs> considering what was going on around the time they made that movie but continue oh 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 i was just gonna say so i, I like Steve miller's comment that it's like so you know, like led zeppelin and cream and they're interpreting british blues and it seemed like zz top was interpreting them but bringing it back into into like making it more authentic and more american and more bluesy do you think that's like how do you feel about that Bounce off of that for a minute. I have a real problem with the word authentic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. German authenticity. Um, you know, it's like the the great uh, you know Rubik's cube of American <laughs> roots music, especially everything that comes from African American traditions. Um, right. Yeah. Sure. So uh, I mean, well, I mean, with the British bands, these were people who were absorbing. You know, and the I mean, these were generally kids who you know got. Kind of figure they had a pretty fucked up uh early life coming you know being born pretty much during world war ii and dealing with you know it was sounds like a pretty horrible situation in england yeah for you know at least the next 15 years or so and but they were interpreting this music that was you know this mythical thing coming from a culture they had no direct contact with whereas you know the guys from zz top you know, they grew up in Texas. I mean, they're yeah. so they're, you know, that that music was around them. It's interesting, you know, with, with the reference to the X radio stations. And of course, the tune heard it on the X. How great, uh, great tune. Yeah. Yeah. But how they had to rely on Mexican broadcasts to hear mm. black music in their communities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the deep stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you know, you listen to their speaking voices and you know that these are Texans. These are yes. 
you know, English artists, they're, they're, they're interpreting from a much closer standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're aren't fake. So, you know, yeah. Well, what you were saying earlier about like the Texas blues tradition of like showmanship, I think that absolutely shows up in like ZZ top. And I think that people get missing. They see it as gimmicks though. You know, like you have these, you know, the two guys, the big beards and they're kind of, there's a, they're dancing on stage and I mean, all the MTV stuff. Anyone who's ever seen a real black blues act in a bar that had any energy knows that great black blues entertainers are great entertainers and they have yeah. people. I mean, you know, I was fortunate to work uh, for six months before the shutdown with Big Al Carson and the Blues Masters here in New Orleans, who were my mentors going back 25 years and they held down, you know, the legendary longest residency on Bourbon Street and all this, but they were a great prior to, to, to uh, no, they, they had had uh, a couple of non-black members as drummers, but, uh, you know, their front line guitar, bass and drums was always all black in terms yeah. of membership. Um, and then I replaced their original guitar player um, with his blessing. And that was really cool because Miguel Carson drew, even in a tourist situation like Bourbon Street, drew a lot of locals and, you know, of, you know, well-represented black audience. And yeah. you don't get to, you know, I mean, I've toured a lot with, with different bands in, in the Roots music world. You don't get to play a lot. You know, maybe, maybe if you're in certain parts of Mississippi or something, but generally speaking, getting to play, you know, blues night after night with a black band to a well-represented black audience is not something that happens a lot anymore. But mm-hmm. the reason that Big Al Carson with his amazing four octave vocal range and huge book of tunes and all that was so success- successful was that he was a great entertainer, a great people person, and he made people laugh and laugh at themselves and feel at ease. And no, and I mean, he could rip your heart out when he would sing a ballad. I mean, there was no lack of depth or emotion or sincerity or seriousness. But I mean, if you want to get people open enough to receive, there's real importance to, you know, opening them up with 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 some light and some happiness and some joy. Yeah. You know, I was just reading stuff last night, uh, these great interviews with Louis Armstrong uh, and how he was always accused of, you know, mugging for the white folks and stuff like that. Yeah. And. You know, and, and but of course, if you look at the statements he was making in the 50s, way before what we would call the, the actual uh, civil rights era in the more public sense. I mean, there was stuff going on with Brown versus Board of Ed in 54 and things like that. And, you know, the, yeah. you know, the bus boycott and stuff. But there were not popular black entertainers on Armstrong's level for the most part who came out as strongly as he did uh, against the Arkansas integration scandal in 57 and calling out the president of the United States. And, you know, so Armstrong who grew up in, you know, think about early 20th century New Orleans as someone who was black, not Creole. And, you know, there's a distinction there. Um, Like he saw the roughest end of, of what that treatment was about. And, you know, to hear him and his compatriots talk on these tapes that I was listening to last night, you know, private tapes of him about how his performances were interpreted and thrown back at him uh, in a demeaning way. It's very interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of 
great and you know of course he came from a a different time but still you know he wasn't afraid to speak his piece uh eventually and really speak it forcefully before a lot of people were willing to do so so the whole idea and you, you bring it back to and we're going to bring this back to zizi top which is obviously a different side of the equation but the as i said at the beginning of the interview the people were influenced by most directly yeah were great fun entertainers a lot of the great black blues musicians you know they didn't they didn't make a living making people cry they made a living <laughs> making people dance and have a good time yeah i mean you look no further than bo diddley like just square guitar like going crazy on stage and he was a classically trained violinist who made his living you know playing these very raw primal often you know one chord kind of tunes it's not was it wasn't for lack of musical knowledge and ability yeah you know, he played violin in the school orchestra <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that cool career. neither did i until recently but you know uh you know you look at someone like picasso and you look at their at their sketchbooks from art school and he's imitating the master stroke for stroke but yeah. then boiled it down to this very simple and impactful thing where people look at and say, oh, a child could have done that. No, a master was able to eliminate every unnecessary stroke and get to the core. And that's, you know, kind of similar to what someone like Bo Diddley did. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. He just got to the primal gut root, but he was a great entertainer. He had a great looking stage show. Yeah. I mean, you know, none of I don't know of any black blues artists that were successful that were not great entertainers that didn't yeah. know how to show some bling that didn't know how to put on <laughs> didn't know how to make people laugh that didn't know how to make people comfortable with themselves that's part of opening people up enough so that they can receive yeah for sure now in terms of like zz top's indebtedness to like blues artists beyond influence do you feel like that they that they were I don't know, ripping them off. Do you feel like they were lifting stuff? Or do you think, do you think there's, do you think there's a more charitable interpretation that we should go by? Uh, that is such a, <laughs> to try and examine, uh, you know, the appropriation question. In yeah. The yeah. Podcast. Um, <laughs> no. Um, still, I mean, they, they didn't, I mean, they did some stuff like, you know, blue jean blues that were very much straight blues tunes. And I mean, you know, I think uh, they had enough awareness of the difference between what they were doing with their interpretation of the blues and what the root was that it's not, you know, I've definitely seen stuff that uh, feels more like kind of callous appropriation than yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Well, I think like um, uh, Lagrange, you know, like, that's right, there's a problem because that really comes from Freddie King's version of the whole boogie thing, which they credit to Hooker in the documentary. Yeah, that, that's I mean, they did expand on that. But that I mean, that's, you know, uh, not I don't think it's a copyright worthy issue. Uh, because, right. You, know, you can't copyright a groove, you know. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Uh, you know, I don't I can't say uh you know i mean other that i mean especially having played that with benny turner enough like i mean yeah their thing is a direct cop of the freddie king interpretation really that traditional boogie yeah listen to the the uh the freddie T king tune that's called boogie and i mean okay. 
it's pretty similar. Now, I mean, ZZ Top takes it to some other places with their modulation and all that. Yeah. The initial groove and they craft something new out of it and they craft, you know, a great story. It's, you know, um, the, you know, that particular groove, though, you know, it, it's pretty easy to draw the line on that. Yeah, where- yeah. Because you also, um, like the Stones did, uh, like a, a, what was the guy's name? Slim Harpo song, like a Shake Your Hips, you know? Which is very much out of the same tradition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they actually just did it as a cover, which is a little different. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, if, you know, if you're doing it as a cover and crediting the writer and people are getting royalties, it's a different thing, you know? Um, and it's interesting that the, you know, uh, they talk about Fur Lewis egging them on at the Memphis Blues Festival when they're on way after midnight and they've been stuck at the back of the bill because they, you know, uh, and, you know, like the classic Buddy Hollow, Buddy Holly at the Apollo story, the Bobby Charles story. Uh, the promoters didn't realize that they had hired uh, a non-African American act. So they put yeah. the bill, they came out with their rock and roll thing. And they said, furry was right by the stage side of the stage going, do it, do it. And, you know, furry Lewis and, you know, the stones took him on tour, but then you look at the way Joni Mitchell treated him, you know, uh, when she wrote a really demeaning song about him and refused to even, you know, respond to inquiries from, him, you know, about, Hey lady, you know, I'll let you in my house and this is, what you go put out in public about me as I mean, I love Johnny genius, wonderful person, but you know, to me, that's even more uh, invasive. Yeah. Whatever. And I'm sorry. I don't know that story. What's the song. What's the Johnny Mitchell song. Where he sings the blues. It's a very, very sad and somewhat demeaning portrait of furry from the time that she was just, you know, another white rock star showing up in a limo because, you know, <laughs> if you were in Memphis, you went and paid tribute to furry, but it, yeah, um she didn't express any kind of affection it was just like look at this pathetic old man and yeah. he was offended by it uh, you know which i can understand and i guess he reached out to her you know and there was no response there was no hey let's put you on some shows let's you know cut you a little piece of cake whatever it was <laughs> just like you know we don't know you leave us alone uh, uh, according to you know the way that story has been presented i wasn't there i don't know either of the parties involved mm-hmm. um but you know that i it, it's so hard if you look at the development of all american music in the 20th century because you know the african-american source music that is, that permeates every element of country rock and roll uh jazz r&b all that but you know that permeates non-african american styles particularly yeah yeah you know um that's a difficult web to unweave and i'm not trying in any way to make apologies for those who just callously rip stuff off and don't you know credit where it came from I, i've spent my whole life trying to kind of fight yeah and to and to not be that person as a performer um you know, I mean, you know, I'm a Jewish kid from New York. If I'm getting up and playing a Sun House tune, um, yeah. he lived in New York State for a while. You know, I try to keep an awareness of what I'm paying tribute to and the difference between what I can put into an interpretation compared to what the originator could put through the original. I mean, it's just right, right, right. Worlds. Yeah, it's like that, um, you know, to make a comedic spinal tap line serious like there's a fine line between what's stupid and what's clever when you're you know dealing with like uh influences on your music for sure and i i i feel like zz top for the most part they are interpreters i think that they bring something different 
to it. I, and I, I think there is something unique to them and they did advance music in a way. They were an original music band. They were yeah. a rock and roll band writing original music that was very heavily influenced by the blues they grew up with and learned to play on and saw in the clubs around them. I mean, sure, but they made, you know, they did their own original thing with it. They took, they took those roots and they wrote their own story and took it in their own directions. Yeah. So and, you, know, you, you can't take that away. No, absolutely not. And uh, early on in our conversation, you said one of the shortcomings of the documentary. And so, uh, what, let me just ask you generally, what, what were your impressions of the documentary? How'd you, how'd you feel about it? Very much like the band mm -hmm. fun, deceivingly light, you know, <laughs> ZZ top thing is there's this deceiving <laughs> sense of levity to it, but there's some heavy music in there, man. But yeah. again, look at, at, at the, you know, blues performance tradition again, you know, levity to open the door for the, for people to receive the heavier messages. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I thought the documentary was fun and informative. Um, you know, we were talking about, I mentioned the song heard it on the X. Yep. And I listened to that uh, after watching the documentary and, you know, they talk about uh, Billy Gibbons talks about the panning trick that uh, that the engineer on their original albums came up with uh, yeah. against the wishes of Bill Ham, their uh, <clears throat> manager and producer who insisted on no overdubs. Right. Ham for the, you know, to go get barbecue, you know, <laughs> distance away. And they create a track where, uh, Gibbons plays his guitar part and then the engineer slightly detunes Gibbons guitar by just pulling on yeah. the a little bit and double that rhythm part and you get this natural chorusing effect yeah. and it's really cool it's very prominent on something like heard it like the x like you can you can hear once you're aware of it and you think of it you can hear the pitches rubbing and it's very cool you know it creates yeah. an effect yeah I love that song that's a song that's a terrific slide guitar solo Oh, yeah. And the whole construction of the tune is great. I mean, yeah. You know, and ZZ Top were extremely clever at taking relatively simple root elements and then creating these really architecturally cool songs with them and, and yeah, story driven yeah. songs where the architecture of the song helped bring the listener through the phases of that story, even through the instrumental sections. I mean, you know, heard it on the X, cheap sunglasses, stuff like that. I mean, just yeah beautifully put together rides through music yeah i mean you're talking about sort of elemental elemental stuff and pulling into these you know th uh, these stronger deeper things i think like in a way like just got paid tonight you know that's that's a, that's a story of america that's a story of like um, yeah. being in capitalism like i just got paid tonight and you feel great got you paid feel, i got a pocket full of change got yeah. a pocket full of change yeah yeah. yeah step in my, just, you know step in my shoes get out of my way yeah that's about to me that's like the quintessential life under capitalism song in a way ah uh, yeah i mean that's very much part of the american experience you know yeah 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 you, you work all week you get paid on friday you go blow it out over the <laughs> you know it, you drink your wages away and then you know it starts anew <laughs> pretty much yes but yeah i thought that i you know, I, I do watch a lot of like music documentaries and a lot of them fall into some some traps that I don't like. I, I This one, like I, I don't love a lot of like talking head interviews. Like I don't need somebody to like 
tell me how important this band I already like is or something like that. Yeah. You know? Not a huge fan. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there, it is present in this one, but it's good. Like the interviews are actually interesting. It's and well they... done. And it's with people that, that, you know, had direct contact with them and, you know, and Billy Bob Thor- Thornton's just fun to watch yeah. to no matter what you do. <laughs> oh yeah. His line, his, his line about like seems easy top is like meeting bugs bunny. I'm like, oh yeah. It's terrific. It's perfect. Good job, Slingblade. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, <laughs> and it's cool. And again, if you look at when you're watching the documentary and you look at old pictures um, of early ZZ Top and they're, you know, they're coming out of the psychedelic era. Yeah. And I mean, Billy Gibbons is just like a skinny geek with glasses and a T-shirt. Yeah. You know, yeah I mean, yeah. there is nothing rock star about his presentation. I think if you go back to the moving sidewalks, he probably had some some pretty, uh, you know, fabulous clothes of the moment that did not translate into the <laughs> era. And, you know, there's that great little uh, clip of him and, and Dusty Hill doing a double duck walk across the stage that they use as part of the Memphis Blues Festival story. I doubt that the footage is from that, but I don't know. But the point being, I mean, very early on, Gibbons didn't have any kind of look to, to go with, with the project, but once they developed it, you know, you get to this stuff by the mid seventies and, you know, it's larger than life. It's fun. It's funny. It's engaging. Um, But again, it's, it's, it's straight out of that roadhouse tradition. I mean, I worked with plenty of, you know, older African-American artists who, you know, I, I can see the direct line in terms of dress, presentation, style, how you engage an audience and how you work an audience. And it, it's all there in the ZZ Top thing, except on, you know, kind of a mega level because of the platform that they were able to develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, even though I'm enjoying this conversation pretty greatly. But so where do you land on Eliminator? How do you feel about that record? I was like 12 when that came out and MTV yeah. was brand new and, you know, there's the car and the girls. And I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, you mix that with a whole lot of puberty and, and <laughs> ZZ top and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it sounded a little bit modern, produced, contrived to me, even as a kid. Yeah. Uh, it sounded slick, you know, yeah. Um but I mean, I loved it. I didn't go out and buy the album, but I loved watching the videos. And I, you know, ZZ Top a few years later was one of the first big concerts early on in my you know big concert going experiences. Yeah. ZZ Top. And it was a great show. It was a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, and my 17 year old brain thought they sounded awesome. You know, <laughs> they're a very consistent band. I saw them a couple of years ago uh, in, I think, Biloxi uh, and, you know, they sounded really good, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, I think that that album kind of kept me from listening to ZZ Top a little bit. Because, like, it came out when I was, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm in my late 40s. And, I'm, I, you know, so that's what I heard. And I was like, oh, that's bullshit. But then I heard, like, uh, Cheap Sunglasses, which has their that rhythm and that, that their greatest rhythm section. One of the greatest rhythm sections in the history of rock, in my opinion, a, a, model, such a, a model of beautifully executed simplicity. Absolutely. And everybody just like, so in the pocket, like, so like, so deeply in the groove, you know, mm-hmm. and then you, you hear like the drum machine shit and it's like, uh, why, why would you trade that wonderful organic groove for this other thing? But 
to um, not be yesterday's band, to be today's band. And that's I, another thing that people don't understand about the blues tradition. You know, from <clears throat> my perspective, all the great blues artists that we really remember. Yeah. We're not trying. They came from a tradition. They understood a tradition, but they weren't trying to be traditionalists. They were trying right. to be the hippest, newest shit of their time and sell right. and make money and get gigs and get laid. And, you know, they were human beings trying right. to be successful. They weren't trying to be yesterday's news. Yeah. And uh, but I don't know, over time, my my opinion on Eliminator flipped. And I think that's a work of genius. I think that's a. Uh, and I, the, the drum machine stuff I, I love and the synthesizer sounds that are on it are terrific. And it's just like, it feels like an, again, like I said, like that they're advancing the music. And it is interesting that even in that context of like um, drum machine synthesizers, automated music, that they could bring the blues tradition into it and uh, sort of um, make, make both great, you know, and just, I don't think there's ever been anything like that. And the other, the, my last point on that is uh, I think that people don't realize those songs are like 80% guitar solos. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're outstanding guitar solos. It may be like, it's sort and of like less notes on an album than a lot of guitar players will play in one chorus. And that yes. is, you know, that's why it's so musical. It's so tasteful. It's so engaging. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, everything he plays really sticks to your ribs absolutely yeah have you um ever sat down and tried to figure out his solos i'm not i'm really not a fan of learning solos note for note one of the few okay, okay. I really endeavored was purple rain which was a lot of fun um yeah. you know that's uh, which uh, you know it's a live track <laughs> I mean, yeah 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 amazing, you know but you know prince is his his own level of genius um there's a story that when Prince met uh, uh, Billy Gibbons that at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something, he's like, all right, sit down with me. And they just talk guitars for like three hours or something. Oh, I'd absolutely believe that. I'm sure you yeah. could geek out over gear. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, how did you make Eliminator? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you look at something like that. It was a brand new sound. It was. Yeah very very you know it jumped right out of the speakers it jumped right off the screen yeah uh, and they're, they're very honest in the documentary about how much taking advantage of the visual realm with the advent of music video is a big driver um changed that album from something that probably would have gone relatively unnoticed yeah been a failed comeback attempt by a band that you know hadn't had a chart hit in five years yeah um, and to being you know the iconic peak of their career you know they yeah. these are these are not dumb guys man i mean they were no 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 lives and they, you know you can tell just look at the old pictures of 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 you know dusty hill and his brother and their bands and and, and billy gibbons early on these guys wanted to look cool they wanted to be entertainers they were not they were not shy about being entertaining uh you know the whole uh singer songwriter mystique that you know you show no emotion and you give your audience nothing to work with but the songs you know or the dylan-esque mystique i mean most singer songwriters just talk for half the show and <laughs> you smile and nod and go the last song was great <laughs> um you know but uh i think eliminator kind of 
encapsulates everything that they were already working towards before they went on hiatus. And then when they came back from hiatus, there's this amazing new medium that's available for them to get out there. They'd always been a very visually oriented band, even if they didn't do a lot of visual appearances, uh, you know, as per, you know, the Bill Ham, Bill Ham, you know, Peter Grant influenced, keep the band under wraps, keep it a mystery marketing, yeah. concept, which worked for them. Yeah. And he, but they and they kind of and it added an, an element of cleverness to their videos like so they're they're not the star of their videos like they're supporting players in their videos they're like helpful ghosts trying to like get guys laid or you know like they're exactly, yeah yeah and, get out of the out, you know out of the shitty you know job at the gas station and yeah the hot car with the hot girls you know exactly it, yeah. it allowed it allowed the songs to be the bigger driver you know yeah. the story of the video but still you went away hearing those songs and hearing those hooks in your head yeah yeah absolutely all right mark well look this is such a pleasure and i appreciate it and thanks so much man and uh i'd love to have you back on sometime if that's all right with you oh, it'll be absolutely be a pleasure thank you adam